As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it has been way too long since last we talked about the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL, so we're rectifying that today. To do so, I'm joined by former U.S. International Current Analyst for CBS Sports and ESPN. It's Lori Lindsay. Lori, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you so much. Good to be uh, chatting with you, Taylor. Yeah, it's good It's good to have you back on the show. It's been a, a while, as I said. Uh, how <laughs> busy have you been more recently? How much more busy do you get once the NWSL season kicks off? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I've actually had like a little bit of time off and then really hit the ground running this past weekend. Mm. Um, so it's it's been nice to kind of regroup. Um, but yeah, now it starts to get bonkers in the best way possible with like all things as we know like this is a heavy time if you're involved in if you're involved in soccer then this is like the go time through through the fall but basically i would say to the end of the year because of the world cup now so yeah so and then we've got the women's world cup next year so we've got some uh some sort of looks ahead to that which is what we're going to be doing today talking about nwsl in a bit but first the u.s women's national team i wanted to start with their recent friendlies against uzbekistan for people who might have missed those games, how experimental of a team did head coach Vladko Endonovsky utilize? Yeah, I think um, fairly experimental, but nothing, I would say, like outrageous compared to what we've seen in the last several months. I mean, listen, the dialogue around the, the team has been the fact that like you've we've kind of essentially lost a year leading up to the Women's World Cup next summer in 2023. So it, obviously because of the pandemic and then the Olympics being pushed back a year. So typically we would have almost a two-year period where you can evaluate the team, um, start to mix in some of the younger players. But because of that schedule being so condensed now, um, you know, that's have, that's having to be accelerated a bit. So, you know, Vlako Andonovsky made it clear uh, after the Olympics last year that he was going to need to, like, start to look at some of these younger players. And we've seen that since November's friendly of last friendlies of last year and you know that's been kind of the ongoing theme as of late and basically if if people are kind of new to this or or not that some of the veteran players that we're used to hearing whether they're coming back from injury or not um 
Vlaco wants to see them playing in the NWSL and performing in the NWSL before he brings them in um, to U.S. Women's National Team camp. So that leads to basically a terminology question for you. Uh, how would you describe what Antonovsky is currently doing with the U.S. Women's National Team? Because I've seen it written as overhauling the roster. I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. I've seen it evaluating the pool, tinkering with the squad, gauging the ability of youngsters, giving new players a chance, as you said. I'm not quite sure what the kind of like simplest explanation for the current roster would be. I take E, all of the above. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, I mean, that's exactly what's happening, right? Because, I mean, the the one thing is he is evaluating players, but that is an ongoing thing, whether or not those players are getting called into the national team or not. I mean, that's what the NWSL is about, not only like high-level women's professional soccer, but it's also uh, grounds for like players to get an opportunity to showcase their skill, and if they're performing well, get called into a U.S. Women's National Team camp and, like, test um, their abilities at the highest level. So uh, that's always ongoing. Um, but I think it, it it's an interesting point because we haven't been here in such a long time um, in terms of, um, l- let's just use overhauling of the roster in some ways as the, as the terminology because, you know, it's always been a, a little bit more of a balance in the fact that, like, it hasn't felt like there had to be an expedited process to get some of these younger players' um, experience. And, and because of that um, – I think it feels exciting. And I also think it feels like a bit like nerve wracking too, because it's like, well, we need to be able to perform and we need to be ready and we need to have a mix of veteran players and younger players. However, we haven't really seen any of those veteran players since the Olympics. So you haven't seen the mix of players that I, I expect to see headed in to at least the qualifiers. And then, you know, the rest will, once that takes place and, you know, knock on wood, barring any catastrophe, they qualify for next summer's World Cup. And then I think you start to see even more things shake out with injuries, performances, and just like how Vlaco sees the best balance of roster between veteran players and younger players. So it does feel like an overhaul, but at the same time, I, I really believe that it's it's more about I've got to get some of these players performing together and seeing what they can do at the international level, which is very much different than, or very different than in the BSL level. Has there been a, a negative reaction at all from some of the players who weren't called in, or has the communication been good enough that there's an understanding of we're kind of being given a break here, we're going to get ready for the season, and then we'll be brought back in later on? Or has there been any animosity, any frustration with the way things have gone? Yeah, I think it's been very clear. I, I don't think anybody was um, shocked. You know, I, I think when you think about players like Becky Sauerbrunn or Megan Rapino, those players are coming back from injury, right? So it makes sense that they're not going to be called in um, you know, with Kristen Press decided to take announced taking off some personal time all throughout the fall that was on her on her terms um so getting back into the swing of things and and playing on a consistent basis with angel city alex morgan starting to get back into form uh so i think it's been very clear and and nothing that any of these players are like oh my goodness like we don't know what's going on i mean blacko has stated to the public and has stated to these players that we we need to see some other players, but we also need to see you performing as well. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. That's very much part of it. And I think it's more of like us on the outside that have created much yeah. more dialogue about yeah. <laughs> really what's happening on the inside, which is typically the case. So, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with that. And I would say for me, at least it's because I'm sort of 
really fascinated by what Andrzejewski is going to do, how he's going to navigate this, because it's an incredibly difficult position to have the two-time world champions, a lot of players playing in both of those tournaments, a lot of players still able to play for the current national team, but you've got so many young players coming through that it just feels like it's going to be this really delicate balance he has to strike. Do you think he's done a good enough job of it so far? I do. I do. I mean, I definitely think it was very evident that that was going to need to be the case. Um, again, for all the reasons that we've already discussed of like the ex- expediting of the process of getting these players more experience. I-, I think the tough part for Vlatko is that, you know, the competition hasn't been, I'm not taking anything away from Uzbekistan um, by any means, um, but the competition of what has generally given the U.S. women's national team difficulty um we haven't seen that, right? So, I mean, yes, you can make the argument for sure. Um, back in November, we played Australia, um, and, and those were fun and wild games. But since then, with the She Believes Cup and then the latest um, two friendlies against Uzbekistan, 18 goals, right, four with one against, is not really the competition that you're hoping to see. Because in general, when people can match us with athleticism that we've seen in the Olympics – that's given us some difficult time or the games are more competitive, right? For sure. I mean, we, we, I mean, no one's going to, I think, argue that like, excuse my language, but we got our asses kicked against uh, Sweden, right? It was a bit of a shell shock um, at the beginning of the Olympics. And then, and, and then also teams that sit back. So how do we break those down? I mean, NWSL is a very transitional league and that really serves well for a lot of our strikers who are really great at getting into space, timing the runs. But how do you deal with when teams sit back in a block of eight? How do we break it down? And we've typically struggled with that. And so I think it's been, that's been the biggest challenge, not about getting younger players experience. It's just, okay, we know that they can exploit space when the lines get really stretched against Uzbekistan. They they can utilize that, and, and we can score goals. But when teams are difficult to break down, that hasn't necessarily been the case. And we saw that a little bit um, in the She Believes Cup. But I think more consistently, we need to test these younger players in those different types of games. Do you think there were things that we can take away from those wins over Uzbekistan, Jeff Kasouf? Uh, for Equalizer Soccer, uh, wrote about like the relationships that seem to have been forming in the new group, some positional experimentation as well. Did you see anything in there that you think could be a takeaway? Yeah, actually, Jeff and I had a, a good conversation about mm-hmm. that. And um, uh, I would say the exact same thing. I think, you know, anytime that you're playing at the national team level, it is such a different level than NWSL. The competition, the small little details that are separating players, like fighting to get on the field. So I think anytime you can build relationships and build confidence within your players, that serves the team extremely well. And, you know, and camaraderie, getting, just getting players used to, um, you know, using their voice, having to step up. I mean, when you think about the women's national team for so long, you've thought about Becky Sarbra and Megan Rapino being one of those voices, um, Alex Morgan. And so now you're forced to have some of these younger players, um, get the team going, right? And I think as more recently, one player that stands out big time is like a Cat Macario. So, you know, that can't be understated in, in the fact, or overstated, I should say, and like how valuable that is for those players to get time together, to see who can take more of a leadership role when it's, when it's necessary. And so I think those are the things we're taking um, away from these games um, outside of, okay, what does some of the stuff look like tactically that maybe we aren't necessarily getting 
from some of these games. Do you feel like we are able to see at least some of what he's trying to do when it comes to maybe specifically the midfield? Uh, I wanted to watch your, your or listen to your Twitter spaces with Jeff. You can't watch them after the fact, I think, which is the major downside there. Uh, but I, I'm hoping you all talked about that, or I'm guessing you did. But I was wondering how much experimentation you we've seen so far you expect to see when it comes to that midfield three and the way Vlatko utilizes them. Yeah, I'll have to ask Jeff because I know he was trying to record them to be able to put them up later. So okay. we'll, we'll touch back about that. But okay. uh, yeah, you know, interesting enough. I mean, I think for the longest time that was a that was like felt like a lot of the mainstay. Like you had so much depth in there. Whoever you're going to put in there, and then obviously with Julie Ertz getting hurt last year bef- during the before the Olympics, and what that was going to look like, um, who was going to play there, and um, you know, I think actually we haven't really solidified that position. We saw Lindsay Horan start there against Sweden in the Olympics, and um, so since then there's been a lot of rotation and, mm-hmm. and if we're specifically talking about the six, I mean, that's where I'm most focused on because I yep. think you have like a Rose, <laughs> you have like a Rose Lavelle, right. You can play in the 10. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Horan is more of an eight, right. You have Christy Mewis. You can have Kat Macario that falls back. If Sam Mewis is healthy, right. There's a lot of players that can fill in these positions and, and some of those can actually fill into the six. But I think the way that we look at Vlako Ananovsky's team play, which is like an attacking oriented um, style of play, which is often the dialogue around the U.S. Women's National Team in terms of going for goals, starting off high pressure and off on the front foot. But that means in the a six in that position, somewhat has to be the player that's going to like not be afraid to get into tackles be a little bit more of a disruptor. And I think that's why Julie Ertz in so many ways was so important to the team. Um, however, I mean, you can make the argument that like, okay, also we could utilize somebody that's going to maybe link play or be more of a traditional playmaker in that role, along with being a bit of a disruptor more so than we saw Julie Ertz. Right. I mean, it's all subjective and it's, that's what the, the beauty of talking about soccer is, but uh, I think the six to me feels wide open. And in some ways we need to be figuring that out quite, quite quickly yeah. with qualifiers <laughs> um, just two months away. And uh, the last, the last point I make about that is because the two players that have been kind of like the rotating sixes in there, Andy Sullivan, Jalen Howell, I don't feel like either of those two players have really grasped that position and said, Hey, I am going to take this position over. I'm going to lead this team with authority in that position. Um, and so, you know, I don't, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around it of like, do you switch formations? I don't see formation changes happening under Vlatko. I mean, he's very consistent in that regard. However, I think that's when you have to get the, the trio of those players correct because you're going to have to have a little bit more two way players, in my opinion, or, you know, make it very clear what those roles are, right? Because if you're playing Rose Lavelle and attacking mid, that looks very different than, a Christy Mewis, who's going to drop back some help link play that we've seen her in the NWSL do. I mean, Rose is very much going to pick up the ball and go at teams, right? But you lose some of that um, combination play in some some ways in the buildup with that style of play and player. So that's where, to me, the combination of who you're playing is even more important. What do you think for Julie Ertz is the hardest skill to replicate what's the thing that she brings to that position to the team that maybe has prevented other players from totally seizing that opportunity taking in that role 
Yeah, I mean, really the disruptor aspect of it. I mean, not afraid to get into tackles, her aerial ability. I mean, does a really good job of like really screening that back, the back four, right? And especially when you think about at the time when Julie was mainly playing, you had Crystal Dunn on one side, typically maybe a Kelly O'Hare. Those players are going to get forward, no doubt. So the ability to be able to just uh, drop into the back line as well and feel comfortable in those 1v1 situations if we do um, get caught in transition. So uh, that has looked different, right? Because when you think about an Andy Sullivan, much more of a playmaker. And in fact, I think her her more true position is an eight because she can get forward and, and create, um, play the final pass um, uh, more so than I think, um, well, I definitely think so more than a Julie Ertz. But you also lose a little bit of that disruption that Julie would bring. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. A couple other uh, positions I wanted to ask you about. Uh, starting off would be goalkeeper. Uh, the goalkeepers for the Uzbekistan <laughs> yeah. friendlies were Alyssa Nair, 79 caps. People know her. But then there's Bella Bixby and Aubrey Kingsbury, both of whom were uncapped. Kingsbury now has the one. Uh, Nair is 33, still has time. But who do you think is most likely to be the backup goalkeeper or maybe the next starting goalkeeper for the U.S. women's national team? Because it feels like a very, very deep position and it could be any number of people. Yeah. And, and, you know, that it just goes back to what I was saying about the NWSL being so important in terms of mm. game time and um, just performing at a high level um, for Vlaco to be able to choose from. You know, Casey Murphy has been injured since the start of this NWSL season. So she hasn't been called in, but fabulous games in Australia. Um, I think they were actually going to split time, but she got she started both games um, in those friendlies back in November. So I, I think definitely Casey could be one of those players that will um, once she gets healthy, be right back into the mix. Um, but we did see Aubrey Kingsbury get her first cap um, last Tuesday against Uzbekistan. And, you know, Aubrey has been arguably one of the most consistent, if not the most consistent performing individual goalkeeper. So it was great to be able to see her get called in um, or have been getting called in um, to the camps and then not – but not play. Right. So now finally getting that cap. And, you know, what I always say about this is that it's important to get that experience, especially with goalkeepers, you know, in this, in these situations, because you build confidence, you can take that back to your club team in the NWSL, but also it's in some ways um, lower risk, right? Like, I mean, people watch Zach Steffen, right. Against um, Liverpool. There's a goalkeeper that hasn't been playing. So it's a great opportunity for people to get their caps and then also build confidence and like get a feel of the energy and what it's like to play in an international friendly. Um, so I would say right now, Casey Murphy Kingsbury are two of the um, goalkeepers that I think will be right in the mix with a listener. 
how do you think we will remember Nair's time with the U.S. women? Because she's won two World Cups. That is no small feat. But mm-hmm. I think of goalkeepers of the past, and there's sort of like eras for them. There's the Brianna Scurry era. There's the Hope Solo era. I don't know if we will define this as the Alyssa Nair era. Uh, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on sort of what would make her be like the, that memorable goalkeeper era sort of goalkeeper or what maybe has held her back from having that sort of uh, memorable aspect to her career? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting, interesting point. And I think the, the thing that I think about with Brian Scurry and Hope Solo is personality, right? Both big personalities, so important, exciting, right? Like the reaction yeah. after Brian yeah, saved the yeah. penalty in the 99 World Cup, right? Like there's just like, oh, I think sometimes when you think about goalkeepers, because they are almost um, on their individual team back there a lot of the time, and you can easily get blamed for goals being scored or game winners, right? So I think personality is what we think. Obviously, we know Hope has had a big personality on the field, but also off the field. Yeah. And I think that's been the biggest difference from Melissa is on the field. I mean, you can't forget some of the performances in the nine, uh, 2019 World Cup. I mean, massive. Like, help win. Like, that's what you expect. Goal scores on one end and then huge saves on the other um, to keep your team in it. But I think with Alyssa, not much of a social media presence, you know, quiet, um, but like a true leader. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we probably don't think of her as like, or claim it as the listener, um, you know, era. Um, but certainly will go down as one of the best ever, especially, I mean, when you think about 79 caps, been really consistent within that, um, and you felt the loss this past uh, summer when um, she got injured. So, um, yeah, I think definitely just a quieter approach than we've seen some of the others. So it's, a, it's sort of a you don't know what you've got until it's gone situation that maybe if there isn't starting there in the U.S. has a downturn in form. We'll get to think pieces about how it was actually the stability and goal that brought so much of the stability on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can say that across the board too. why the kind of you know, what we've been talking about here, the dialogue about the veteran players, because Becky and Megan and Alex Press, all of these players have been so important, but they've also been so consistent for the most part um, throughout their careers at the highest level and showing up when it matters most, right? So, and, and we've seen Alyssa do that. It's just, again, on a, on a little bit of a, a quieter front um, than others. With some of those veteran names, I think we may... See, we will see a lot of them back in the national team at various points over the next couple of years. We do have a couple of different players who are going to be missing time. Julie Ertz uh, had the injuries, uh, now has confirmed that she's pregnant. So we would assume we'll miss some time. Uh, Lynn Williams, I think, is out for the whole season with what appears to be a very gnarly injury that made me cringe when I read about it. Um, <laughs> are there other names that you think we will start to see less of maybe more quickly and who do you think of those big names that we've come to kind of know as being mainstays in the in the team who do you think might have to do some work if they want to be in world cup consideration yeah well i think everybody right i mean i think some of it i think there'll be some difficult decisions for vlaco um however i think some of those will be kind of hashed out in general just about whether the performances are is or is not there um and i also think injuries i mean you just mentioned lynn williams sam Mewis is still coming back um tierna davidson that right? was the one. one of those things are unfortunately just part of the sport right in sport in general so um you know i think that some of that will be just be flushed out and 
on as the rosters have to be um, picked and it gets closer. More specifically, I would say to the 2023 um, World Cup. I mean, we're in a little bit of a time crunch here with the qualifiers, so I think there might be a younger group, and then I think there'll be hope that he can pull in a few more experienced players um, as well. But in terms of names, I mean, I think Crystal Dunn um, do do soon in terms of her pregnancy and has show, like very much emphatically stated like ready to get back as soon as possible. Um, so that'll be an, um, interesting in terms of just like with Emily Fox playing in that left back role. Um, does that push Crystal Dunn further up? So I think you know that's an interesting conversation. Um, I think depending on how Megan Rapino. Um, comes back from her injury and starts performing. I mean, the thing we, the thing that we know about Megan is she's clutch, right? She, when it is time to play, she will show up for your team. I think she's great in the locker room in terms of leadership. Um, with Becky Sauerbrunn, I very much feel like, even though Becky's, you know, recovering from a little bit of a knee injury, will certainly be in the mix because I feel like out of everyone, and I, maybe I'd put Megan in this category as well, but those two would certainly be the link between Blacko the most in terms of who he trusts um, in terms of leadership. So it'll be interesting how those two players work back in. And I think maybe even more so um, will be needed if Becky, especially with Tierna uh, being out now. So, and, and then the rest, sorry, this is a bit of a long winded um, answer, but no, it's good. the rest Again, I think it's all about performance and um, staying injury-free. But that's also the same with the young players, right? Because as time gets closer to picking these rosters, people definitely feel that, right? You feel that energy. You feel the excitement. But you also feel the pressure of, hey, I need to be scoring. If you're an attacker, I need to be performing. And I need to be doing it on a consistent basis. So how do how do individuals handle that pressure as well is, is will be a big question mark going forward. I uh, wanted to mention a few more of the sort of lesser known or less experienced names, which is an odd thing to say because I'm going to ask you about Mallory Pugh here and she's plenty experienced. But the attacking personnel for those friendlies uh, was a little bit different. Uh, Ashley Hatch and Midge Purse are both 26. They have 22 appearances between the two of them. But then the other attackers in that roster were Mallory Pugh, who's 23, Sophia Smith, 21, Trinity Rodman, 19. So a lot of youth there, but obviously a ton of talent. Who of those five names, Hatch, Purse, Pugh, Smith, or Rodman, do you think has the best chance of starting in the World Cup next year? Yeah, that's a, um, I, well, if we're talking about right now, then I would go with uh, Amal Pugh because mm-hmm. you have youth. You have a great mix of her with like youth, experience, and the form that she's currently in. And I think this is the first time, outside of maybe when she really started playing with the national team, that we've seen her play with like a ton of joy and she just looks like she's having a great time. And then you also add in just the experience and understanding of what it takes to perform at the highest level consistently. So we've seen the evolution of her game mixed in with that as well. So she, I mean, I think she's been lights out. She seems like she's having a great time and she's been scoring goals. And we've also seen her ability to be able to influence the game through assists and, you know, a little bit of a different role in terms of her being able to drop deep and, play in between the lines as well. So um, I think if she continues, no doubt she looks like um, this form could be continuing if she stays healthy. Uh, That has been obviously an an interesting aspect of her career as well, just picking up some injuries and and working her way back the last several years. Uh, But then 
listen, Trinity Rodman, my goodness, uh, the ceiling is so high for her. And, and, you know, just starting to get experience um, with the national team and, and not a ton of it, right? Like not getting a ton of minutes when she is being called in. So, but continues to show up um, with the Washington Spirit and the NWSL and does some amazing things that I don't think you're seeing, or I know that you're not seeing from any other players, even with all those players that we just mentioned who have been so, so quality. So I'll, I'll be curious about Trinity in terms of um, how the minutes progress at the national team level, because she certainly is just coming off the bench right now, but I think she continues to be more comfortable at that level. She could, she could certainly start. And the other name that obviously gets a lot of hype, a lot of attention would be Katarina Macario. Yeah. Uh, she can do a lot of different things for the U.S. and for her club as well. What do you think is her best position? Where do you think she best fits under Vladko? Well, I think it's where, right where we're seeing her right now, which is a more of a withdrawn nine, mm-hmm. having the ability to to lead that line, but also if necessary – gives the team a different look because she can drop deep. And then when you think about another young player, Ashley Sanchez or Rose Lavelle, those players being able to get in behind and exploit the space that she's just left gives the attack a, um, a bit of a different dimension for the women's national team. So, I mean, no doubt about it, in my opinion right now, Kat Macario is the best player consistently on both sides of the ball that we're seeing um, performing for Lyon, performing with the U.S. Women's National Team, set pieces, like she just has it all, really. And I think that's we started to see a little bit of a coming out party in the She Believes Cup. She hasn't looked back with club and then continues to elevate the national team level. And, and that's what you want, because I think for a long time, for at least the, over a year, we kept waiting for this for a Cat Macario, right? So, um, and it was like, do we play her at Y? Do we play her in that number 10? What does this look like? And, you know, also, what does it look like, again, going back to when a team sits back and there's not a ton of space? How do you solve that? And for a little bit, it seemed like she was just not fitting into the mix of of whether what Blacko wanted or just still getting comfortable at this highest level. And goodness, has she certainly taken on, <laughs> taken on this role to show everyone that like, actually I know what I'm doing here and <laughs> uh, now I'm lights out. So, yeah. So as we move towards qualifying or get into qualifying, would you like to see something like Alex Morgan being the more conventional number nine and then having uh, Katarina Macario as the backup option to do something different or to start different games if you need a different look? Do you like that blend or would you rather t- see two sort of similar forwards so that you don't have to change a ton of what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, listen, I would probably go with Alex coming off the bench. I mean, at this oh. point in time, um, I would say that consistently Kat is performing at a higher level, right? I mean, I think you have Alex who's with San Diego, the expansion team and, and working her way back and, and getting, and, and also somebody that's enjoying their club football you know, in her words for the first time. So in getting used to some of those relationships and partnerships that she's playing with um, in San Diego. So, so that's a work in progress, but I think at this point in time, we know what um, Alex can bring right against a variety of different opponents. So I wouldn't necessarily just have um, Alex sit in there. I would see what Alex can do off the bench more frequently with Kat playing that with John because we have players that can get in behind who can penetrate. Um, but I think Kat right now in that number nine position offers something different that we haven't seen. And, and much to the point, what I was speaking about is, 
you know, she can drop back and play a bit of a, a 10 position, allowing for other players to go through. And that just, you know, forces the opposition to have to ask more questions and answer more questions really um, on who they're picking up. Are you stepping? Are you not? And then you also have wingers that can get in behind as well or, or drop deep. So the fluidity right now of the front three has been exciting. I think the biggest question mark, and I said this earlier this week on another podcast that I was on is when I look at the front three that are the current ones that um, Blacko um, had in these two last Uzbekistan games of Pew, Macario, and then Smith, to me, it's a Smith position that is still a bit wide open, right? Um, I think right now, currently, um, it would be Mal Pew and Kat Macario, just the way that they're performing at the national team level and club level could have that lockdown. And then Smith has been, I think, excellent as well. But I think there is still some room and some com- competition for players like Trinity and Robin to make their case for some of those veterans to come back. And, and that's just my own personal thought. It has nothing really to do with Smith's um, performances because I think one of the reasons why Portland has been off to a great start. Um, but I think if you're looking at a position up top, it's less about the nine. It's maybe more about one of those nine, uh, excuse me, wing positions. One more uh, position-specific question for you. Uh, we mentioned the injuries to Sauerbrunn and Davidson. Uh, so the U.S. started Abby Dahlkemper and Alana Cook in one game, and then it was Cook and Naomi Gurma in the next. Uh, what do Cook and Gurma bring to the squad? What areas might they, they need to work on if they want to move further up the depth chart? Well, I, I personally think Cook is like the modern-day center back, right? Like I think when you think about the U.S. national team or you just think about – center backs in general, they have, you know, a lot of teams will press, a lot of teams will um, utilize their center backs to be able to set play and help kind of dictate the tempo. Cook can do that. She's good in 1v1 situations. And I'm talking about if we're going to press high, then you are vulnerable with leaving space in behind. You have to be good in 1v1 and getting in um, isolated positions. I think she's um, great at that as well. And so I think a lot of Cook – you know, especially with a Tierna Davidson out, um, as long as she continues to, you know, be consistent with her performances, could potentially have one of those center back positions locked down because she can influence the game in the attack as well, especially on set pieces. She is a target. Um, and in those second phases of set pieces as well. So I think Alana Cook offers so much to this this women's national team and her OL team, OL Lorraine team, um, with Gurma just getting her first cap, right? Number one pick for the NWSL for San Diego. I think getting used to this level obviously has a ton of youth national team experience. But, um, you know, the question mark for me always is, I think Naomi Gurma is great, right? And she's still learning and obviously has kind of fit into the professional ranks pretty seamlessly. But like when you think about competition and beating players out, who is she going to beat out right now? I mean, you would imagine that like a Tierna Davidson is going to come back. I mean, people get ACLs, unfortunately, all the time now and they make full comebacks. Right. So Tierna will be back before the World Cup. Let's say you have Becky Sauerbrunn as well, who can still compete at this level. Um, and you also have Abby Dahlkemper. So what are the skill sets and traits that Naomi Gurma are bringing to, to beat out? Um those three players or even a lot of cook. And I think that's, those are the big question marks. Um, and a lot of that has to do right now for Irma is experience, just understanding what that level is all about. And again, getting put in positions where you have to come up with huge saves when it matters most. 
And we just haven't seen that, especially just getting her first cap against Uzbekistan. Yeah. So time will tell. <laughs> not, not, not a ton of uh, on-ball pressure against Uzbekistan. Was there the yeah, defense? unfortunately no. not. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, well, other than the 18 to 1 aggregate win over Uzbekistan, it is a very uh, exciting and interesting time for the U.S. women's national team. And I would say the same goes for the NWSL. We're recording this in the middle of the NWSL Challenge Cup, or maybe, I guess not quite the middle, maybe the middle end of the 2022 Challenge Cup. What have been the biggest talking points in your mind from the Challenge Cup so far? Yeah, goals. Goals and early <laughs> goals, right? And and I think that speaks to a few different things, like the transition, transitional play of the NWSL mm-hmm. um, and um, new coaches in the league, right? Trying new things. We've seen Portland play times with a three back. Um, where is that space? Um, what does that leave for other teams? And what are, where does it give them advantages, right? And you're just seeing some different aspects. But I think early goals, I think, you know, adding two new teams, you spread out some of the competition. Uh, last year, it was really difficult to break teams down. Now things seem to be a bit more wide open. Is that because of some of the um, questionable um, defending? Yeah, at times, I would say so. And I think that that also has to do with, you know, new teams and new coaches. So, but listen, I'm never going to um, be against goals because that is what we're here for, right? So, and you love to see it. So, um, I think it's going to be a fun. I also think it'll be interesting to see who starts to separate themselves from the pack. Cause I think that will be, there could potentially be a wider gap than we've seen, um, in, in past years. And not just from like one team to the bottom. I mean, I think there'll be about four teams that will start to separate themselves from the rest of the pack in a way that we haven't seen recently. Any thoughts on who those four teams might be? Yeah, um, I think O.L. Reign for sure um, has a great balance of like, NWSL experienced players and then national team experienced players as well. They seem to be like, I mean, if anybody's watching those games, you see how passionate Laura Harvey is too, not afraid to do some of the um, sideline antics, which is always fun. So you, you can kind of, you really feel the culture and what that locker room is all about, even on the field. Um, you know, I think Portland is always up there. Uh, I, I mean, listen, if you're looking at a, a team that expectations should be incredibly high, Washington Spirit had the most call-ups for the U.S. Women's National Team, Trinity Rodman, Ashley Sanchez, Ashley Hatch, all on that like front six or front five. I mean, listen, they should be scoring goals like we've never seen. And then a one that's been a little bit surprising um, because I wasn't sure how they were going to be, and we'll see how this goes in the long run, but uh, a North Carolina. And really, those are the four teams that we're seeing right now in the Challenge Cup. Um, but I wouldn't count out 
I wouldn't count out some of the um, uh, expansion teams, mm-hmm. potentially San Diego. I mean, with Casey Stoney at the helm, it'll be curious to see how they can kind of sort things out. First couple of games were pretty good, and then they've a little bit lost their way in terms of conceding goals, especially from a coach that prides was a defender for the England national team for a long time and prides herself on like, you know, having that disciplined um, defensive shape. So yeah, time will tell it's a long season. So, but those are the four that I'd kind of put up there started off well and I expect to, to finish well, uh, finish well as well. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned you wouldn't count out San Diego yet. Are there any teams that, you would count out or if you want to be more generous are there any teams in particular that you think have a good amount of work to do if they want to be competitive yeah well i also would put kansas city in there i mean they were aggressive on the positive side they were aggressive um in the off season and obviously the injury to lynn williams is is a tough one to swallow and then sam Lewis, her injury taking a little bit longer but that's another team i mean they're exciting they seem that they're having fun there's a lot of backing from their ownership so i should have put them in the mix as well because i'm going to be curious over this season um what that looks like with the support just from the organization in general um you know it's a tough one i hate to count teams out i wouldn't i think we're going to see it's going to be difficult over the long haul for orlando as of right now, losing Marta, um, I think, you know, do they have really any world beaters on their team? No, they've already battled through some injuries. I think that makes it difficult in this league. I think they have quite a few young players as well. That can always be a challenge. And, and the challenge with Orlando in the past, though, is they've had these star players who play on the national team or, or further whatever country they play for. And then you have these really young players, you don't have that middle ground Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm afraid that they don't really have that either, but they don't have that top level either. So I'll be curious on how that goes. Um, And in Houston has not looked good in my opinion early on. And I think the same have some bright spots, Maria Sanchez, um, Mexican international, you have Rachel Daly, who's always energetic, but losing Christy Mewis, losing Gabby Seiler in that midfield and not being able to replace them. That's two big losses that um, you haven't made up for. Um, and, and they were pretty close to the bottom last year, too. And I don't, I'm not seeing much headway that they've made in any particular area. So I would say off the bat, those are the two. Um, you know, it's tough. I always feel, you know, you feel bad saying that. It's just the, it's just the reality, right? Yeah. So, you got you to gotta have bad teams if you want to have good teams. I guess. Uh, absolutely. Kind of yeah. how it ends up working. Uh, yeah, do you yeah. think either of the expansion teams might be in the – which I guess where do you think they're likely to end up? On the, hey, they did well list or on the, hey, not such a great season list, uh, Angel City FC and San Diego Wave? Yeah, listen, I'm not going to count either of these two teams out because there is something about them that you're kind of like, all right, what's the, they, they've got something, right? And with San Diego, I think from an – um, both teams actually put there for putting together rosters that have quite a bit of experience, right? And then you have Alex Morgan, Jody Taylor, those players, Sophia Jakobsen from Sweden and San Diego, and then Krista Press, obviously, um, for Angel City. So they have the ability to score goals. I think, um, you know, Angel City, unfortunately, de- has been dealing with some injuries. Obviously, Sarah Gordon out, um, I think wouldn't have 
had them looking a bit different dynamically in the back um, and being able to take more risks just with her presence on the back line. Um, and then for San Diego, you know, for both of these teams, it's really just about patience and building. So I wouldn't count either of them out, but I think you've got to start building some momentum because otherwise then it starts to be goodness. Like, right. How do we get ourselves out of this? And I think angel city, unfortunately finds themselves in that position right now, conceded the most goals, not winning games, right? Heartbreaker this past Sunday where they could have gotten at least a point against the top-seeded team of Lorraine and they concede in the last minute of extra time. So it's those things where you start to feel the heartbreak and like what's the morale of the team? Who's holding each other to get together, especially when you're a new team? So I, I don't have a true answer. I think, you know, if you can catch a, a wave and a few results, then that can change the change the course of your season. But I think right now they're in precarious positions and like, which way does that go? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one more question for you about NWSL then. Um, I, I have my answer written down for what I think you're going to say, but uh, for people who are new to the league, who is the coach that you think uh, is the most interesting, either does the most interesting stuff from a tactical standpoint, or maybe is going to be in the, the headlines for some like on-field behavior for getting into it with officials, whatever it might be, who's the one that you think people should keep an eye on, people might be interested in learning more about? Um, ooh, I like it. And I'll be so curious on what your answer is after I, I you know, I want to give you like three, mm-hmm. but I am going to narrow it down to one. Um, right now, personally, what I think is interesting is Rian Wilkinson from Port- Portland. All right. Because of just the, the willingness to play in this like three, five, two, three, six, one, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think it's come in and it's not easy to come into a team that has one, and under former coach Mark Parsons had a, a particular philosophy that seemed like they really care from top to bottom about one another on that team and an understanding of everyone's role. So when national team players are gone, players can um, slip in seamlessly. Um, and they seem to, under Rain Wilkinson, be exciting um, being attack minded and, and players have come in like a Sam coffee, a young player and performed really well centrally. So um, I'll be curious how that keeps continues to go. All right, there we go. I had Laura Harvey written down. Oh, as your yeah, yeah. I mean, Laura is always a given for sure. <laughs> I just think she's a bit more known and that's um, fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, well, if people would like to hear uh, more from you, see more from you, how can they uh, follow you? How can they tune in? Yeah, basically, um, Lori Lindsay six, it's L O R I L I N D S E Y. And then the number six across like social media. So Instagram, Twitter. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I love like seeing the evolution of the women's game. Um, and so, yeah, love to chat. So, um, anytime you want to reach out, please do. And, um, also doing a podcast on us women's national team hour every Monday at 3 PM Eastern, along with Lisa Roman. It's part of the attacking third podcast and you can find that on all basically wherever you watch or excuse me listen to podcasts and you can also find it on youtube so you can actually see us as well there we go 
So yeah, yeah. listen yeah. and watch. There we go. Do both. Listen to listen to it and then go and watch it, or vice versa. But either way, yeah. give them yeah. du- double numbers. Let's make that yeah. happen. Um, and then one other thing I'll say is too, we do Jeff Kasuf because we mentioned him mm-hmm. earlier. We are doing these Twitter Spaces. We're not doing this week. He's on vacation, but um, that kind of moves around. So you just have to kind of find us on um, social media and look for it. But at least once a week, we kind of break down what's happening uh, on both sides, like U.S. Women's National Team, but also what's happening in the NWSL. Mm-hmm. So. And it's very collaborative. People can ask questions and yada, yada, yada. So That's awesome. And hopefully they will ask uh, better better questions, more expansive questions than I. But I feel like we've talked plenty about the U.S. Women's National Team, plenty about NWSL. Lori Lindsay, thank you so much for taking all the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and in fact, I like love the questions. So thank you. Oh, awesome. All right. That makes me very, very happy. Listeners, hopefully this made you very, very happy. We will talk to you all again very soon. 